0: The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of Webmaster Radio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of Webmaster Radio.fm is prohibited. Business is changing and new marketing avenues are opening up every day. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show that brings you the innovators and trendsetters taking us to a new age of marketing, media, and social business strategy. Welcome to Market Edge with Glenn Engler. Get ready to hear perspectives on social media and digital marketing that will help you gain insight into the unique opportunities and challenges facing marketers and thought leaders today. Now, Now, please welcome your host, a Fortune 500 industry figure in the marketing and communications world for more than 25 years, and Chief Executive Officer of Digital Influence Group, the host of Market Edge, Glenn Engler.
1: Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Glenn Engler, CEO of Digital Influence Group, a full-service digital marketing agency that helps companies unlock the social potential of their brands and amplify its impact to drive business results. Today, I'll be talking about leadership in the digital age with Rosabeth moss Kanter, Harvard Business School professor and author of SuperCorp, a look at how a new generation of values-driven businesses do well by doing good. Rosebeth Moss Cantor holds the Ernest L.R. Buckle Professorship at Harvard Business School where she specializes in strategy, innovation, and leadership for change. Her strategic and practical insights have guided leaders of large and small organizations worldwide for over 25 years through teaching, writing, and direct consultation to major corporations and governments. The former editor of Harvard Business Review, Professor Cantor has been repeatedly named to list of the 50 most powerful women in the world and the 50 most influential business thinkers in the world. In 2001, she received the Academy of Management's Distinguished Career Award for her contributions to management knowledge. In 2002, she was named Intelligent Community Visionary of the Year by the World Teleport Association, and in 2010, she received the International Leadership Award from the Association of Leadership Professionals. Professor Cantor has authored or co-authored 18 books. Her latest book, Supercorp, How Vanguard Companies Create Innovation, Profits, Growth, and Social Good, A Manifesto for Leadership of Sustainable Enterprises, was named one of the 10 Best Business Books of 2009 by Amazon.com. You can connect with Rosabeth on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Rosabeth Cantor. That's K-A-N-T-E-R. It's an honor to have you on Market Edge. Rosabeth, welcome.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
1: So let's start off and uh, if you can tell us a little bit about your professional journey and what led you to Harvard Business School.
2: In many ways, I've been doing something the same thing my whole career. I really care about um, effective organizations that can make a difference in the world, how we create positive outcomes for society, for the people who work in companies, for um, the customers, for communities. So I've had, that, I've had that preoccupation all of my life, um, and I always knew that business was an arena that had enormous power over the lives of people, and in fact... During my career, I've watched the interest in business um, grow. First of all, for for many people, business was uh, um, essential to have employment and also products and services. There were others who were critics of business practices. Increasingly, the public would like business to be a source of solutions because there's also great distrust in America and in other parts of the world in government, um, big government is having difficulty meeting its obligations. So then there's a turn to the private sector. And so I knew this was an arena for action where we could have, um, shape people's lives and do it either for good or, you know, sometimes the effects are not so benign. So my mission is to make sure that the effects are good for people, for society, and also, of course, to sustain business Business has to earn a profit. So how one combines all of those factors and create strategies for companies but also leaders who are able to keep in mind the needs of all of their constituencies, of everybody to whom they're responsible, and steer an enterprise in a positive direction. You know, just one more quick comment that we're watching today, a lot of um, formerly very well-respected CEOs stumble in one way or another, you know, that not only has consequences in terms of whatever actions they did that were wrong um, and whatever happens to their personal lives, some are indicted and and are going to go to jail, Um, but also, you know, they had a responsibility to their enterprise. Once you're a leader, you have a responsibility to other people. It's not just whether you're performing your job well or you're getting bottom line results, and so it really bothers me that people could not do sometimes don't see the the responsibilities that go along with the privilege of a position.
1: Yeah, well, and uh, you know, I've had a, speaking of privilege, I've had the privilege of knowing you for a while and watching uh, how many millions of things that you're involved in. So I have to ask for inquiring minds. Describe a day in the life of Rose Moth
2: Cantor. Well, let's see. Do we pick a day, um, <laughs> beautiful July day on Martha's Vineyard? where I all at the water and doing practically nothing. Um, thinking. I mean, you need thinking time. And sometimes in the pressure of work, I don't have enough time for that. That would be a, a wonderful day in the life. I love those days. Those days are sustaining when flying around on airplanes. Um, I, I guess, I don't know if there's, if there's a typical day. One of the things I love about what I do is the chance to get involved in a lot of things, and in many ways every day is different. I mean, when, when I'm in the classroom, I, I teach a very, very large set of MBAs. Um, you know, those days I'm spending my time um, preparing and interacting with the students, and that's wonderful, and I may also have conference calls and meetings. I walk to work. I also have another privilege in my life. And for people listening to this, that's an incredible privilege. You know, it, it's, it's healthy to be able to walk and to be close enough to things and build in um, those moments. of that, Those are also reflection moments. Sometimes I pull out my BlackBerry, and yes, I realize I may be the last living BlackBerry user soon. <laughs> I, I actually had the CEO of a very, very large and distinguished telecom company, I won't mention, former CEO and, and current CEO in my MBA class, and I told the students that they had to be really, really good that day because that way maybe they'd keep on supporting my BlackBerry, and the, the former CEO said, not a chance. So I I, um, I, sometimes do that while walking. I mean, you know, I'm having to, to 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 keep things moving in, on many different fronts. Um, some days, you know, I can concentrate on writing. I tend to do writing, email um, early in the morning, um, clear that out as much as possible, and then I'm seeing lots of people. I'm on airplanes a lot going places, and friends of mine joke, they say, you know, are, uh, oh, you're going to Australia? Are you going for lunch? And I'll say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, not necessarily, because I've been a tourist in many places. I love seeing it, and sometimes I can go and stay, and sometimes I go and do what I'm doing and have a good time doing it, and come right back because I won't, I also want to be home, or there are other obligations. So it's a. It's again, I feel very fortunate to have a life with with so many opportunities. I would say the hardest thing is carving out uninterrupted blocks of time for thinking and reflecting and just letting the batteries recharge.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And um, that is not a surprise given the trip to Australia for for lunch, among other things. So I want to go (laughs) back.
2: I have to stay the night before Oh,
1: okay. That's fine. <laughs> so I want to go back to your discussion about uh, responsibility and CEOs and um, certainly the high-profile nature. You've done a lot of research recently around leadership in the digital age and how that is so different. Uh, what are some of the characteristics that make a brand successful uh, as a leader in this digital age?
2: Well, first of all, the brand, and then I can talk a little about about. Leaders as individuals, which increasingly needs to encompass all of us. All of us. I mean, a brand in the digital age—you can't control it just because you say it is what it is, um, because this is interactive. And it was really interesting to me because I was involved, you know, the first dot-com boom, um, and I wrote a book called *Evolve* about it and about what was changing. And what was really striking was how many established companies at that time thought, this is great, the Internet, it's just one more one-way communication Mm. channel. And they were not taking advantage of the potential to create communities and to connect people with one another. So good brands today in the digital age are in many ways owned as much by the community of users of advocates of fans as it is shaped by um, the company I mean one has to be aware of that and um, you don't always control that you don't always know who they are I mean now of course there's a big business boom and everybody doing the metrics and telling you exactly who it is so you can target the message exactly to them Um, and you know all of that personalization is going to matter a great deal but but also, of course, people talk to one another, and um, that shapes the brand. And so brands have to be truly authentic and and stand for something that is truly creating value for those people who are going to be part of it and um, enhance their lives. And if it's not improving lives, ultimately, um, it's it's not clear that it's going to have lasting value. One of the companies I write about in SuperCorp is Procter and Gamble, um, and well Procter and Gamble is a very brand-conscious company, and it's known more for its individual brands—Crest, Pampers, Tide, etc.—than necessarily the corporate name. But when I was working on SuperCorp, um, and I sent the manuscript to Bob McDonald, who was then vice chairman and is now the CEO to review because that's something we do. We want the facts to be right. Um, And he said, because I was emphasizing their sense of purpose at the heart of the company, that they have this statement of purpose about improving lives. And um, he wrote me back and said, this makes him want to emphasize the PVP, purpose, values, principles, even more. And I said, well, Bob, I was writing about you. You're saying you want to be more you. And the answer was, in a way, yes. And now they are. I mean, my, I've had some amazing experiences on these flyby journeys. I was speaking in Nigeria and then spent time with some of the Procter & Gamble people in West Africa. And the Panthers people saw their mission as improving lives. I mean, helping babies thrive. And in a place with high infant mortality, they realized they couldn't simply, you know, be marketing diapers. They needed to help mothers help their babies thrive. And so they started sending mobile clinics with re- mobile, not in the phone sense, although they did use mobility applications, text messages later. But they would send out an actual van with a doctor and two nurses. And people, it took places that didn't have access to healthcare. <laughs> and people would bring their babies. Um, mothers would bring their babies. And then they would give them two free pampers, but it was you know that is, that would be an inefficient way just to market pampers. But because the brand stood for the sense that we want your baby healthy. And actually, they have had an impact on health and and pampers sales did soar, and they're using that as a model many places. And I thought, that's very inspiring. When you take that idea of what of the values we actually stand for, and think about then what other responsibilities you undertake. That tells people more. That tells people who you are, what you do, and they want to be part of that community. I mean, I know loyalty, brand loyalty, automatically is a thing of the past in the digital age. Despite what I said about loving my BlackBerry, <laughs> but and I will be sad when it goes. But um, it's. But you build a bond and you you are doing something, improving society that improves your bottom line via the products themselves and the things you surround the products with. That's a great brand. And the digital impact can be enormous. Also, I learned in West Africa about some things they were doing for girls' education because they make a lot of feminine products and it had an educational component. And within a uh, very short time after they started doing things to keep girls in school that also involved their products, they had, you know, in a country that is a developing country in a in a continent certainly far away from the U.S., they had hundreds of thousands of, of users on a Facebook page right away who were teenage girls who otherwise couldn't really talk about mm-hmm. their particular bodies and what was happening because they were in families where mothers, especially the parents, certainly not fathers, wouldn't talk to them about it. And they found a community um, that actually was started because of a product and what the product was doing. The community takes on a life well beyond the product. But when when, when the company is actively enhancing and supporting that, the effect is really powerful. And that's what you want because in the digital age, you know can go exactly the other direction too right and that is they can put up um put up a website that says company yep
1: and
2: soon you have all your users or non users um organizing about what they hate about you and you know what is it you you only have to think about how you n- must start responding to what they say for leaders too um this is a very powerful new phenomenon because leaders can't hide behind hierarchy. They can't have a correspondence office of 300 people that answers the occasional snail mail or phone call. I mean, people want direct access. I love CEOs, and, and in the companies I work with, I get that access, but there are other CEOs who actually answer their own email. Now, I'm sure they still have 300 people answering it and maybe you need you know, a special relationship, which, again, I might be privileged to have. But you have to answer your own email. People want direct access. Um, so it's interesting, you know, in the digital age when you can be reach millions of people that you don't even know at the same time, one-to-one, you know, people want to get to that person. And so you can't, you know, be remote and be distant and wait a long time. Leaders have to... Um, you know, get that crisis moment, hear that they're hating you and organizing against you and do something right away. Otherwise, you know, they're letting the company down and actually, generally, they're fired. I mean, you have to be, it, it does take time. That's why my many hours in, in the morning, and I'm just a, a professor, I keep saying, whatever um, whatever fortune I have, but um, I'm I'm... I can imagine what it's like, but you have to be accessible to people, and you have to understand you're always on, that your personal contact conduct, somebody's taking a picture of you getting right. drunk at a party, or somebody's, you know, exposing your torrid emails. Um, you know, you have to think of yourself as always in public. And by the way, can I make one more comment about Absolutely. the digital age? Just a pet comment, because of the important work you do and you're certainly in the center of helping people use these new tools. So I'm honored to be with you. My other pet thing that I talk about is we all say, we're all saying, well, the young people, they don't care as much about privacy because look at what they post and look at what they they share and, and distribute to each other. They may not, you know, 13 or 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds to 20 22-year-olds might not care, but... I'll bet that when they get to be 28, 29, 30 and they start to have families and are a little more buttoned down, have careers, I'll bet they actually look back and groan
1: yes. because
2: um, at what they what they allowed to be out there because it's now going to stick with them the rest of their lives. Um, and you don't always have that sensibility. You don't always think about the long term. It seems so ephemeral. You know, I love tweeting. And, you know, tweets are ephemeral. They, they come and go. There's people maybe following thousands and they not get a lot of it, but yet they're also there permanently. Right. And I don't know if we've quite conveyed to people the longer-term impact of your conduct. And that's what leaders and all of us have to think about. And that's why good companies are actually thinking about building these lasting values, not just... You know, a momentary pleasure or a momentary offer or a momentary high.
1: What's fascinating to me going through your examples of your leading brands is how, and you've just emphasized it, how inextricably linked the CEO is to the brand. And in times past, it was a company, and yes, there was a CEO to lead. And what you just described, always on pictures at parties, accessibility is an incredible challenge, but you use the word responsibility. It is, it is really fascinating to see the people, the companies that you have highlighted as top-tier innovative growth leaders, uh, and it always starts at the top with the CEO and his or her actions.
2: Yeah, it does. It does. And a consciousness, so even in the startups, the startups that I actually think have the most potential, and we're, I'm doing... Done a little bit of research, and you know, want to continue it on who emerges in new tech industries as the dominant player, especially when you know it's it can be winner take all, or you can you know you create a network. When you have um, a million users, you'll you be the network effects start kicking in, and you become more valuable. But even the the startups who become the dominant player tend to have more and better partnerships at the beginning, and often have a strong partnership at the founding, even if one person em- emerges, like Larry Page at Google. Mm-hmm. Um, not I mean, Sergey Brin is still there, but Larry Page at Google. But there's a sort of partnership already, and so there's already a kind of leadership, and also there's an emphasis from the beginning on a strong positive culture and right. values from the beginning when you think hmm. you're not in the public eye particularly. so um, I think that can also predict success even for small startups. so when I talk about supercorps, you know I give lots of examples of giant companies I also give examples of Great. I mean including Digitas, Um of companies that um, are under, understand that because you're gonna hit hard times. And your culture helps you weather that. Your values help you weather that. Your your users, your consu- your customers, consumers, if they're part of the family, I mean, it's why I picked eBay out of all of the e- eBay and Amazon early on. First of all, I thought they had a great business proposition, but um, they but early on I was predicting their success. eBay, you know, started expanding into other areas, hit some stumbles, but it was that they were building a strong culture inside the company as well as community with users. And yeah, the CEO as a person, you know, it's a tricky business because we've watched CEOs come and go who made themselves too important. And mm-hmm. But actually, the, the, the CEO does represent the company, but you also don't want to... Bypass all the other people who really are the company. Right. I mean, I thought Carly Fiorina, you know, who was fired as CEO of Hewlett Packard, um, her—you could see her mistake coming in. Yeah, she got a lot of publicity as the woman tech CEO, but she never she made herself more important than the company. Interesting. She put herself in the ads. And, Interesting. Yes, yeah, Hewlett Packard. There were two two men, Hewlett right. Packard, who. Right. It, a lot of people who grew it. Um, you look at the contrast. I mean, it's an interesting contrast, HP IBM. So, IBM has a woman CEO, Ginny Rometty. It's almost unremarkable that she's a woman. That was what yes. I, I said to the media when she was appointed. I said, she's an engineer and a great business person. And a bonus so that she's a woman. Yes. But IBM is a company where the company name, the company brand, and she certainly represents it. So do a lot of other people. And so she's aware of those responsibilities of a leader. But she puts the IBM brand first. There's no cult of personality. You know, we were all a little worried about Apple. I mean, first of all, it was very sad. Steve Jobs is lost. Um, but, you know, would Apple, it's, such, it's cult of personality in many ways as well as, you know, fantastic design and innovation. And would that transfer to a new CEO? And I have to laugh about Apple because for a while, black turtlenecks were what you wore at Apple. (laughs) Now it's black open collared shirts. That's
1: right. Thank you, Mr. Cook. (laughs) right. Uh, So I'm going to interrupt for a second. We're going to take a really quick commercial break. Please stand by and I'll be right back with Rosabeth Moss Cantor and more of the conversation.
0: Market Edge will return in just a moment. And join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google Help files. search engine is put your surfers into overdrive. It's webmasterradio.fm steering you into the winner's circle. Webmasterradio.fm We're everywhere. We're back with more Market Edge, bringing you the best and brightest voices in digital marketing. Only on webmasterradio.fm Once again, here's Glenn Engler.
1: Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Glenn Engler, and I'm here today with Rosabeth Moss Cantor, Harvard Business School professor and author of SuperCorp, talking about leadership in the digital age. So you had a recent blog post, which I loved, which was titled, if I recall, If You Don't Like Your Future, Rewrite Your Past. And you talked about a concept called kaleidoscope thinking, which you described as a mental process of shaking up the pieces and reassembling them to form a new pattern. Can you talk a little bit more about that concept?
2: Um, uh, and thank you for picking that up because it's it's one of my favorite ideas. And, you know, we talk a lot about out-of-the-box thinking. That became a metaphor for creativity. I actually also have been pushing the idea that we have to think not just outside the box but outside the whole building. You know, look at the world around us. But kaleidoscope was a better image. A box is very static. A kaleidoscope is is just a device you look through to see a pattern. Sometimes out, outside, sometimes it's the fragments in the kaleidoscope, but it's an infinite set of possible patterns. So you shake it, twist it, change angle, change direction, you get a new pattern. And I thought, uh, as much brain research is showing, a lot of the way we think or is a little like that. Dreams, you know, you're putting together pieces in a different way and making up a story And, you know, there are lots of narratives we could have about how things are going. A long time ago, when I was first starting in the change business, I realized that what what leaders were doing when they created change um, in a company or in a community or what they were often doing was simply rewriting the past. That is, they were shifting the pattern to emphasize something that had been peripheral back then Suddenly, is central now, and they could see we're capable of doing that. So, I thought there's, you know, the stories we tell ourselves also can be either negative or positive. They can emphasize some things other than other things. Um, and now, you know, I, in a way, I want every every company to reach back into its history and find all the the threads that they have of social justice and employee empowerment and. <laughs> Contributions to society, make that their story. Not, when I did that, you know, I got some people who say, well, that's spin. Well, spin is a negative word meaning you're, you're, it's false. I mean, there needs to be some reality when you sort of look for those things in the past that can tell you you do it in the future. But we have, as human beings, the capacity to put the pattern together in a whole different way. You know, I I keep thinking about who was it that invented the world's first ice cream cone. You know, there was ice cream and there were cookies. um, And somebody thought, hey, we can make this portable, the first mobile app. We can make this portable if we wrap a cookie around the ice cream. (laughs) I mean, somebody took things that exist. A lot of new business ideas are not any... Not often, not a new invention. They're putting something together in a different way. Two things that were never connected are put together in a different way. <clears> and, it, and so I want us all to, you know, kaleidoscope from time to time, um, and and just shake it up and um, think of, look at the same problem in a fresh way. That's what brainstorming is too. So, so interesting. You know, be authentic. <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Oh, um, I love it.
2: Yeah, well, it's helpful it to all of us, you know, it's helpful to all of us.
1: It, it is, but I, I love it. And you've uh, authored or co-authored, if I go back to that, and um, for listeners, an absolutely astounding 18 different books. Is there a topic that you're either passionate about with a thread through these or, or something that keeps popping up that you keep going back to?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, first of all, those 18 books, I would say probably seven or eight are major and there are others that are, um, are fine, I mean, but they're um, readers or co-authored or something else. But I have these, you know, bursts of every, every few years, bursts of, of, of ideas that tie a lot of things together and I do these complex projects. But I'm really interested in, um, you know, making systems work better. Human systems, um, organizational systems. And so the thread is, those things that that create positive cycles or negative cycles, and I mean that I've I've had that as a theme in many different things, um, and I like doing the contrast. So, mm-hmm. um, another recent book, not as recent as Court, but but wrapped together a lot of a, a lot of ideas um, was confidence, and. I, the subtitle is How Winning Streaks and Losing Streaks Begin and End. And that's it all in the title. I was interested in how um, systems have momentum. And the, that momentum can lead you downhill and everything piles on and the situation gets worse. Or you can have positive momentum. That winning, a lot yeah. of advantages accrue that allow you to keep on winning. And... Um, But then the issue is where does leadership come in? Leaders shift the cycle. Leaders are, that's when they're really important actually, when they move the momentum from possible negative or actual negative to positive. So I was interested in turnarounds and, um, and, and also these long, you know, why some, I use sports too, I actually studied sports, why some teams have long winning streaks and others have long losing streaks. What is it that gets done? And leaders do do things that help move the momentum in a positive direction. And what I liked about that and a, a theme running through everything is even when I'm talking about companies, I'm also telling a human story of how people are interacting with one another, of what the quality of the workplace is of whether people have opportunities to express their ideas. I mean, empowerment is a really big theme running through my work. Mm-hmm. I would say that since the beginning, I was interested in the power of the people, um, in how you create organizations that give people more voice. And so naturally, I love the digital tools for the more voice. Right. I will also say about digital tools is that you can organize negatively um, over the web you can organize revolutions you can organize meetups you can encourage people to get out and do one thing but it's very hard to organize, to, um, organize something that has a sustained life it's very hard you, you can use it for communication but you still need leaders yeah. who help organize people face to face and um, it may be multiple people in multiple places those things still matter so there's some enduring truths about mm-hmm. people and their interactions and and the ability to look people in the eye from time to time that haven't disappeared. We just have new tools that help give more people voice. And the other theme is how can that voice be positive? How do we give people hope? Right. And how do we create great organizations, great companies that do positive things? And actually, so, that sounds like a lot of themes. but it,
1: No, they definitely really come together on great. it.
2: Yes, idea. I mean, inter- the, the consistent ideas throughout my work are innovation—that is, how do you get the kaleidoscope thinking, the new ideas, and get them put into use. Collaboration—you know, how do, how do people work together more effectively? Um, those are two big themes.
1: Oh, uh, I could go on with so many questions, but unfortunately, we're out of time, and you've been incredibly generous with your time. So, I want to thank you, Rosebeth, for being my guest today, and thanks to everyone in the audience for listening to today's conversation. If you have any questions or would like to talk further about the topic of today's show, feel free to connect with me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Glenn Engler, or on my blog at www.glenengler.com. Visit www.webmasterradio.fm at 12 noon Eastern Time on Tuesdays to tune into episodes of Market Edge. For Market Edge, this is Glenn Engler. Until next time, I'm
2: out.